This morning's reading from the Gospel is Acts 9, verses 1 through 20. Meanwhile, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue at Damascus, so that if he found any who belonged to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Bring these Christians to me, and I will see that they are delivered to the chief priests. Now, as he was going along approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city that you will be told what you are to do. I cannot see. I cannot see. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. For three days he was without sight, neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, here I am, Lord. Get up and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. At this moment he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem, and here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who invoke your name. Go, for he is an instrument whom I have chosen to bring my name before Gentiles and kings and before the people of Israel. I myself will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to me on who appeared to you on your way here, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. The scales have fallen from my eyes. I can see. Praise the Lord. I baptize you, Paul, in the name of our Lord. After taking some food, Paul regained his sight. For several days he was with the disciples in Damascus, and immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. Listen to me. One of the thing, fun things was to return from renewal leave and find that we had uh, given birth to a new drama ministry, thanks to Steve and all of our, our players, so that's super fun, and we're grateful to have uh, that element and add so much to our worship. We have this very rich text today and, and kind of a longer text, and so to have it dramatized really helps us understand what was happening here. It is a, a conversion story. I, many of you know that I grew up in the United Methodist Church, uh, you know, regular old Methodist Church, much like this one in uh, 
but I also had a next-door neighbor growing up who was the Pope of the, the Pope, I call him that. He was, he was the president, the international president of the Foursquare Gospel Church, so an evangelical Pentecostal church. And so I would often go to Methodist church in the morning. He had a daughter that was my age, so I'd go to Methodist church in the morning, and then I'd go to Foursquare church in the evening. Two totally different church experiences. Uh, Methodist church, you know, singing hymns and calls to worship and things like that. In the Foursquare Church, they were speaking in tongues, and there was lots of hand-raising, and it was a whole other kind of, of sense of Christianity, and I was young enough to just take in both of those as being normal. Um, and I remember a big part of, of the Foursquare tradition um, always seemed to involve altar calls, certainly, but also a lot of sharing of conversion experiences where, where somebody would get up and share how God had moved in their lives. And it was usually a fairly dramatic story that perhaps they were using drugs and, and somebody intervened and God saved them or, or some horrific disease that they had been uh, diagnosed with and struggling with or, or they had been on the edge of contemplating suicide and God intervened. And, and as, a, as a teenager, I took all this in and felt um, what I would just call conversion envy. I thought, well, I didn't have that kind of a, a sort of lightning bolt experience. I was just sort of raised in the church. I had always been raised to know my faith in Christ. And perhaps, you know, maybe God was not moving in my life in the same way that God had moved and interacted in the lives of these folks whose stories I heard and, and were, was so moved by. Of course, growing up in the church, you, at least my experience was, you know, I went to worship every Sunday, Sunday and Sunday school every Sunday, and I had just always had a sense of God's presence with me. In fact, I am so grateful, though, for my Foursquare experience because they spoke of it so powerfully that it made me be more in tune to it. I don't know. I don't know how in tuned I would have been if I just kind of sort of took it all for granted. I think for those who experience grace for the first time, they sometimes have a better understanding of what God is doing. Yesterday I was, um, had brunch, Mark and I went to brunch and at the restaurant, our server uh, was a young man who was completely covered in tattoos. And I mean from his hands up to his chest, up to his neck, including his face and his eyelids. My eyelids just hurt looking at his eyelids. Covered. And I tell you, if I had run into him somewhere else, I might have found him to be kind of scary, maybe intimidating. I might have made some assumptions about him. But we were at the Homegirl Cafe. Uh, and the Homegirl Cafe, for those of you that don't know, Homeboy Industries is a wonderful program started by Father Greg Boyle uh, that works at sort of rehabilitation with former gang members. And this young man was just as sweet as he could be, was just kind and tender as he filled up water and coffee and brought our food, and, and I was aware uh, 
of just the amazing young uh, story that this young man had. As we left, we walked into a little, um, had a little gift shop there, and the young woman that was working as the cashier was explaining to another customer how she was doing drug testing and that she had to do drug testing in order to get her children back, but that she was absolutely convinced that this time she was going to be successful. And the, the woman that was making her purchase was cheering her on and saying that she would be praying for her. And here are these, these women who had had vastly different lives understood their kinship and connection to each other. And this young woman cashier kept talking about how grateful she was to Homeboy Industries and for all of the opportunity that she had been given to start her life anew. And she lived with this sense of grace that sometimes those of us that have not ever had those experiences just kind of take it all for granted. I'm so struck in this conversion story that we read of Saul. I mean, there's just hardly a more dramatic conversion story in all of the scripture than Saul's story. Saul is a man who, um, you know, being being a good um, Jewish man of his day, was out to correct the heresy that was going on with the the followers of the way, as they were called, these Christian heretics. And Saul, I love the way the scripture reading starts, is breathing murderous threats. Murderous threats. I don't know if you've ever had anybody come after you with murderous threats. Uh, I've never actually had anybody come out with me with murderous threats that were physical, but I felt it other ways. Um, and, And here is Saul, who is out for blood. He has gone to the temple in Jerusalem. He's got a letter. He's going to the church in Damascus. He is going to gather up these heretics. He is going to bind them and bring them back to Jerusalem where they could be tried. This is Saul. And as was demonstrated for us, he was on his way to Damascus to do just that thing when he is approached by none other than Christ. This is an important point for Paul's later ministry because Paul will say that he was an apostle of Jesus Christ, which is an actual one of the original 12. So Paul at this point says that he, he knew Jesus because this, this is a post-resurrection experience where Paul encounters Jesus on the road to Damascus and Jesus um, has Paul taken blind to Damascus, where then there are two conversion stories that happen in this text. There is both that blinding conversion story, and it's more subtle, but it may be every bit as profound, especially for us Methodists that kind of grew up in the church, because here's Ananias. You know, he's a a good church-going man. He he loves Jesus, and he, he thinks he is doing good, and, and he is following the way, as it were. And Christ speaks to Ananias, and he says, now I want you to go and get this Saul person. And Ananias is like, um, I've heard about his murderous threats. I'm not bringing him to the church. This is not somebody we want in the church house at all. And Jesus says, no, no, go get him. 
And I love that poor Ananias, he does not want to do this. He is not thrilled about this task, but he approaches Saul and he calls him brother. Brother Saul. You know that hurt him to say that. It hurt him to have to say to this man who he had every reason in the world to fear, to fear for his life, to fear for his faith, he reaches out to him and he calls him brother. That's the kinship that Father Boyle is always talking about, that we belong to each other. We, we, we kind of create these, these lines, but we belong to each other. And, and so Ananias takes Paul with him and cares for him until Christ restores his sight. And Paul is given Saul, who later becomes Paul at this point, he's still Saul, um, is given a new name and a new vocation. Saul's job, Jesus says, will be to bring the good news to the Gentiles. Here, this Saul, this, this very convicted Jewish man, is now going to be sent not to the people he's comfortable with, not to the people he would choose, but rather as a missionary to those outside of the faith, to those who haven't yet come even into the Jewish tradition, let alone the Christian tradition. Two conversions happen here in this moment. Saul is given his calling and Ananias is converted to know that God is not just interested in the folks that are already here. They're not interested in just the people that are already a part of the way, as it was called, but rather the whole world, the whole Gentile world, all of those beyond the walls of the church, all of those beyond the boundaries of the faith that God is sending Saul out. We all lose our way from time to time. We have blinders. We have, sometimes they're just cataracts, you know, areas where we can't see clearly, where we get so caught up in our own stuff. There's anger or resentment or just, I like it the way things are or whatever it is. And and God comes and messes with all that and stirs and pushes us beyond ourselves. Ananias was pushed and Saul was pushed. And in both cases, conversion happens. And in fact, we're here today. All of us are here because Saul's mission went beyond the Jewish world, but to the whole world. It changed the faith because of what happened there on the Damascus Road. Something happened with Paul, Saul, and something happened with Ananias, and God removed their blinders. God removed the things that were getting in the way of them seeing what God could do with them if they would only let go of their blinders. It's a powerful, powerful story. I believe that our call as Christians is always a call to conversion, conversion of our hearts, conversion of our minds that we're always called to be on a journey. Wesley called it sanctification or going on to perfection. 
And, and the scripture says that we are called, and this is where Wesley gets it, called to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. That is to not assume that God is done with us yet. Not assume that, oh yes, I, I'm here on church on Sunday and thus God's work in my life is complete. Far from it. God is always working in my life. It's always working in each one of our lives. Now, sometimes we hold our blinders really, really tight and say, no, 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 I don't want to change. I don't want to do, I don't want to do this new thing that you're calling me to, God. But uh, we get convicted. Whether we're Saul or Ananias, we are called to be converted. When was the last time you experienced conversion in your life? When was the last time God surprised you? You thought this thing about a person or this thing about an issue or this thing about an idea, and God said, well, not so fast. I need you to see this. These conversion experiences, I hope, are part of our almost daily, if not weekly lives, where we're called to this, this call to love our neighbor as ourselves challenges us each and every day to figure out how am I going to be more loving? Who have I written out? Who am I not seeing? Whether they're covered in, in tattoos or they're dressed differently or they think differently or they vote differently or they act differently. Who am I not seeing? Who have I put on blinders to and where would God have me to remove those blinders? The good news, of course, is it's not up to us, really. You will notice that Paul did not choose to be converted. Neither did Ananias. The primary actor in all of this is God. God pushing, God prodding, God moving these folks to respond. So I think for those of us in this faith circle, this faith community, we are called to just be open, to be open to the ways that God might just move us. God might just convict us. God might just remove some blinders for us. We all get lost along the way. We lose our way. We lose our faith. We lose that core of love. And we forget that God is calling us. It's my prayer for my own self always and for all of us that we're open to this work of the Holy Spirit, that we're open to what God might do with us yet. Perhaps God is calling you to be a missionary to the Gentiles, to those aren't, who aren't yet here. Perhaps God is calling you to reach out to somebody and say, my brother, my sister, Perhaps you are being called to tend to somebody in the middle of their own spiritual struggle or to open your heart that God might work with you. This work of constant conversion, this work of working out our salvation is a constant task, particularly for, well, for all Christians, but for those of us who call ourselves Methodists, it's just a, a thing. It's a thing we do. We work out our salvation by opening ourselves to God's grace and mercy, to open ourselves to remove blinders and find new ways to love. 
I don't know what your conversion story is. Perhaps you have a a lightning moment, a time when you were struck blind or a time when your, your blinders were removed. Perhaps it will happen this afternoon or it happened yesterday or it will happen this week. But I hope that we'll be open to it. That we'll be open to a new thing that God will do with each one of us. Whether we've been hanging out in the pews our whole lives or whether we are new to Christ this very day, God is not done with us. Let us pray. God, we thank you that you are a God that works in the lives of people like Saul, people who are so convicted of their own rightness that they are willing to sacrifice others. And we thank you that you work in the lives of Ananias who who believed himself to be faithful but had such a hard time reaching out in love. But God, in both places, you find us. You find us in our hard spots. You find us in our, in our fears. You find us, God, in our convicted places, and you speak to our hearts. Convert us, God. Convert us today and convert us every day to the way of your love. Help us, God, to open our hearts to the new ways that you might yet be speaking into our lives. Open us, we pray, in the name of Christ. Amen.